0: It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying and buying. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast, brought to you by advancedb 2 bcom It's your host, Edward Ford here, and today we're joined by Hubstaff's marketing manager, Madaf Bandari as he tells the story of how their SaaS company went from $200,000 in ARR to $2 million in ARR in just two years. Hubstaff is a time-tracking software that includes app and internet monitoring, an employee payroll system, screenshots and over 30 integrations, and it's actively used by over 8,000 agencies, freelancers, website owners and virtual teams all over the world. Madaf joined Hubstaff at the beginning of 2015 as the company's first full-time marketing hire and employee number seven. Hubstaff now has 35 team members who are a 100% remote team and most people have never met one another face to face. In this episode, Madaf reflects on the last two years which saw Hubstaff increase their revenue by 658% and he does this by going through his six key lessons that helped them achieve this milestone including the importance of team focus and common goals, nurturing a culture of ownership and establishing clear KPIs, embracing the 80-20 rule and doubling down on your most effective growth strategies, autonomous processes and automating growth, being completely driven by business revenue, and the role of patients in SaaS growth. Stay tuned for the end of the episode where Madaf tells us about Hubstaff's future plans As they aim to go from two to ten million in ARR, alongside his top five tools and best piece of advice for SaaS growth leaders. So here is episode three of the Growth Hub podcast with Madaf Bandari, marketing manager at Hubstaff. Welcome to the Growth Hub podcast, Madaf. Uh, It's great to have you with us. And before we get started, or first things first, could you just tell us um, how you actually ended up? joining Hubstuff and what was the size of the company when you started?
1: Hey, thanks Edwards. Um, again, so nice to meet you. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I've like, you know, before I kind of joined Hubstuff, like I've been in the SaaS space for about, um, four years now. And, yeah. uh, I think about, you know, I think somewhere around the end of 2014, uh, I was leading growth for this, CRM product called um, Clinchpad, uh, and you know somewhere around then, uh, you know through some mutual connections via LinkedIn, uh, Dave, who's the founder of Hubstaff, uh, you know got in touch with me to discuss uh, you know kind of like a potential growth opportunity, and you know like one of the things that kind of struck around the most with Hubstaff and the kind of work that I wanted to do was. Uh, yeah, it, it was a good mix of the experience that I already had uh, with working with partnerships and, you know, leveraging content marketing as a huge growth channel, and then the kind of um, growth endeavor that you know Hubstaff had, you know, into becoming like this big hub of apps, uh, you know, where integrations could flow in, you know, flow in and out. The vision was actually pretty exciting. And it was just the beginning stages, like the product market fit was just completed. And, you know, we were, you know, we were clocking about 18,000 in monthly recurring revenue around then. So it was just about the perfect time to start scaling up. So it was, you know, like the perfect time to join. So uh, I was actually, um, before I actually joined, I was working with them for about a month, month and a half, um, you know, like just consulting a couple of hours, you know, before I finally took up. Uh, a full-time role
0: there. Okay, and you have now just crossed the $2 million mark in annual recurring revenue. So firstly, congratulations for that. And uh, you've actually highlighted six key lessons that helped you get there. So we're thinking we could just go through those six lessons. And firstly, you uh, mentioned that team focus and common goals were, were the starting point for, for achieving this. So could you tell us a bit about about that first lesson?
1: Yeah, so um, I think one of the main things that that's primarily one of our, um, you know, probably something that is really uh, driven, um, you know, has been the main focus through which we've been able to grow the company. So just to give you an example, um, initially, like in the initial years, what we used to do was, um, you know, we had these you know, we just had to grow the revenue of the company. So, you know, we used to do all these different marketing experiments. The development team was doing something else. The support team was something else. There was no alignment mm. on like the one, you know, goal that we all need to go after. Somewhere around mid-2015, we set like this goal to hit about $65,000 in MRR. And our way to achieve that was to kind of, you know, focus every little decision, every strategic decision, every task, uh, every little department details need to be focused around that goal. So if I could break it down for you between departments or something like this, that um, with support, it was, you know, our goal was to reduce our, um, you know, our turnaround time, like our response time from 20 minutes to let's say eight minutes, because that would kind of help us reduce our churn which would yeah. eventually increase the cash flow yeah um, so that was one in development we wanted to improve the user experience because that could again um, you know reduce the amount of churn that we had and uh, from a marketing standpoint we had a lot of things about trying to find the acquisition channels that could have been scaled uh, in a way that could drive you know the majority of our growth forward so you know with this whole focus it was um, like, literally, from the founders to the virtual assistants, everyone in the team knew about the goal. Their goals and actions were um, directed towards that one goal. So, you know, it really made it like uh, a team that was, you know, really focused on this one mission uh, that we had for the end of the year. And, you know, the cool thing is that, so in 2015, our goal was 65,000. We actually hit uh, 70,000 MRR by, uh, by December 31st. And it's, it's been like a trend like that. Like So in 2016, our goal was to hit uh, $140,000 in MRR. And we actually achieved that three weeks early. So somewhere around uh, the first week of December, we actually achieved that goal. So that's, I mean, that's primarily our philosophy. And that's where uh, that's something that has worked for us. And that's something we also advise uh, to other SaaS companies to have like this one specific goal and that goal should be something that's truly really important you know sometimes people have goals like I mean you know let's say if you take companies like Appsuno, for them a goal could be let's say to build an email list of 1 million subscribers by the end of the year right for some SaaS companies it could be um, you know to increase the amount uh, like maybe increase the lifetime value you know at the end maybe increase it from 30 to you know let's say $150 um, so it, it kind of varies, but you just kind of find it out and just align your team towards that goal.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's not just marketing's responsibility or sales or your growth teams, but you actually had everyone in the whole company, like focusing in on this goal and everything that they were doing from product team development, virtual assistants. You said company founders. Everyone was driving towards this common goal. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. and one one other cool thing I noticed is that you also mentioned that your team is 100% remote and actually a lot of you have never actually met face to face. So how has that been?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, it's, it's, it's a new trend that's coming across a lot of companies are hundred percent remote and, you know, with all of these new collaboration tools out there, it's really hasn't been much of a problem. And also, you know, like, um, you know, everyone's happy, everyone's got their own thing, but I think that being said, we are, you know, the entire team, we are planning a retreat this year and, you know, hopefully that should happen soon and all of us are really excited about it. Yeah. If you talk in terms of a 100% remote team, there are a lot of advantages, you know, a lot of time, like, just imagine, right, like, most of the people who are working remotely don't really have to spend any time commuting, or even if they're commuting to their co-working space, right, they're just happy and they've got a lot of more hours to put in. So, you know, I, you know, I could consider even myself, like before, earlier, you know, I used to work with other uh, startups when I used to work from the office. The amount of work I did there and the amount of work that I do working 100% remote is actually a lot higher because, you know, there's so many distractions, and I think there's a lot of um, content that's out there that supports that.
0: Yeah, and, and you're based in, in India. Is it in Bangalore?
1: No, no, no. I'm based out in New Delhi. Oh, India. In New
0: Delhi. Sorry, yeah. And, yeah. and the company, Hubstaff, is it an uh, American-based yes. company? yeah, yeah. it's based in yeah. uh,
1: Indianapolis.
0: Okay, I know your team, are they based in the States or are they based across the world or where is the rest of your growth team located? Yes,
1: so um, the founders are in US and we've got about 30 of our team in the US, but they're not like in one location, they're spread across uh, both East and West Coast and we've got, you know, uh, like my other te- team members are kind of spread out in 11 countries, so we're truly spread out.
0: Wow, yeah, great stuff. And if we, if we move on to, to the second lesson that you mentioned, that is about nurturing a culture of ownership. So how did you approach this and, and what kind of KPIs have you set for your team?
1: Yeah, so this actually came across from, you know, one of the issues that I was having, um, you know, as we kind of grew our marketing team. Uh, the problem was that, so, you know, like my my philosophy with whenever I'm marketing something is market it like you own it, mm. because that's truly how you'll be able to, um, you know, really, you know, innovate in all of your marketing Uh, tactics and strategies and whatever right the problem is that when you scale up like you can't really do everything on your own so you start hiring more team members and you start uh, delegating you know your tasks to them right but the the number one issue that comes across is that um, you know a lot of those team members don't really take ownership of their tasks right so you'd be delegating tasks to them and for them it's like well I'm just receiving this task I gotta do it and then that's it it's not like they want to improve or grow their numbers. Even if they really want to, you need some kind of mindset uh, inside, um, you know, their whole, you know, way of working with their projects, which is why I kind of, um, you know, decided to implement KPIs. So uh, we used to have KPIs among the, um, you know, the, the senior team members in the team. Uh, because, you know, we were all responsible for our own specific uh, growth channel. So someone from, you know, someone who's handling content, someone who's handling um, the partnerships, everyone had their own KPIs, but they were never really down to, you know, all the way to the virtual assistant. So what we did was, um, what I did was to, you know, build KPIs in such a way that we could show like a connection of how someone's work really impacts the bottom line of, of the business. Mm. So even like, let's say for example, a virtual assistant who's doing like this simple task of collecting emails of influencers, um, I wanted to be able to connect their KPIs to be able to show that, okay, you collect influencer emails, which the content marketer contacts gets backlinks, which improves our search traffic, which you know, eventually gets us customers and that's how it moves the bottom line, right? So, the like the whole like when you have this connection um you know in the kpis then these every team members actually you know able to relate with that one goal you know and they're able to see that if they work on their numbers it actually moves the bottom line so they're constantly motivated to improve their numbers and you don't really have to rally behind them saying that why our numbers are not on track and you know You know, like just get on calls and try to understand why they're not doing well. So with the whole KPIs thing, I um, the way I set up KPIs is really simple. Um, You know, I would look at marketing tasks. Let's say, in case of the content marketer, uh, I would look at her tasks about emailing um, emailing influencers and let's say getting um, some kind of backlinks from them. Let's just take link building an example, right? Yeah. so now the, the right KPIs would be, how many emails did she re- reach out to? What was the um, conversion, what was the reply rate? What was the open rate? What was the conversion rate to backlinks? And you know, what were like, what were the high domain authority backlinks and how many low domain authority backlinks did she collect, right? So the main thing is that these numbers are specific, they're measurable, and they're directly related, again, in the chain of, uh, you know, to the main goal. Because the more number of high domain authority backlinks she's collecting, that means the more uh, our referral traffic is increasing and the more our domain authority is increasing and all of that stuff,
0: yeah? Yeah.
1: But it's, yeah, it's just as simple as that.
0: Yeah, and this follows quite nicely from from the first point you were making in that your personal level KPIs go back to the bigger level team focus and that everyone is contributing in their own way on that most important thing being revenue in the bottom line
1: yeah yeah in fact you know what like the, the one of the things that actually made me happy was like um when i actually implemented these kpis i think about three or four months after this imp- implemented you know i would see you know these little blinks of ownership from team members yeah. you know by things like um, you know they would just message me Hey, matter you know I'm like my growth numbers are a little low this month it's because of this 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 and I'm working to improve it and hopefully the numbers should be in this next month and this actually makes me really happy because I don't you know as it's saying it's moving towards uh, you know a self-automated, self automated self managerial growth engine where everyone just really owns their tasks and just make sure they nail their numbers well and then the entire company will grow you know yeah yeah. In fact, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off here, but um, you know I have this blog on Salesforce uh, about the entire process of how I implemented KPIs. So maybe after the call, I can just share the links with you in case if anyone wants to know yeah, more. Yeah, definitely,
0: we'll definitely share the link to to that blog post. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And and right. your uh, yeah, and then the next next lesson. So the third point in in your. Uh, road to success was about embracing the eighty twenty 20 rule in marketing and scale so could you just firstly tell us what is the eighty twenty 20 rule
1: yeah so the eighty twenty 20 rule is like um the, the actual name for it is the Pareto principle but it's it's just uh, this philosophy that you know if i if i could put it in terms of marketing it's 80% of your revenue is actually coming from 20% of your strategies, you know, yeah. uh, which is actually true because if you actually look around in your marketing process and your growth, growth plan, you would actually see these, you know, this this little amount of tasks that are actually driving uh, the most amount of revenue. Yeah. So, um, taking this rule into consideration, what we wanted to do was that, um, you know, first of all, we're a bootstrapped company, right? So we're, we're, we're always... Uh, We don't have as many funds as, you know, normal funded companies have. You have to um, really, you know, walk on the line of constraints. So um, um, what we we did was uh, we used to take, find those 20% marketing strategies that are really driving a lot of customers and then double down on them. You know, put twice the amount of effort, put twice the amount of team members, put twice the amount of money and see if the results actually you know, show, like, remain the same and then keep scaling it up as, you know, you know, as we see the customers keep rolling and keep scaling it until the channel actually dies out. Yeah. So, you know, like, this is something that is particularly useful because, um, you know, we'll talk. We'll probably talk about this later in the podcast episode, but, um, you know, there a lot of times you would, be working on strategies which would not drive the revenue for you right now or in the next three to six months, and you do not want to go ahead with those tasks, especially as a bootstrapped company. You do really want with you know put your money on the tasks that are actually driving you know money into your funnel right now and in the next three
0: months. Yeah. So, which were some of those most effective growth strategies that actually made up that 20% that you decided to focus on and double down on? Yeah, so
1: um, so with Hubstaff, the cool thing is that we've got these, um, you know, this whole uh, family of integrations. We integrate with a lot of apps like GitHub, Trello, all of that, right? And what we realized was um, these partnerships could be super valuable for us because um, we were seeing a really high, you know, conversion rate from the users that actually came from these apps. Um, so initially we had invested about, um, you know, four or five hours a week on these partnerships with them. As we saw that the revenue is actually driving, we started putting in a lot of efforts and creating content for partners and doing all sorts of cross promotion with them through email lists. So partnerships has been one of the bigger growth channels for us. Um, you know, back when we were at 200,000, it used to drive about 15% of our customers. And even today it drives about 15% of our customers. When you look at 2 million, right? Mm, so it's okay. been
0: so it's one thing that,
1: yeah, so it stuck around. Yeah. Uh, I think the other growth channel, which is again, which is one of our major growth channels is the blog. Um, you know, we push out a lot of content um, and, you know, we, the, the scope of our content actually transformed over the last two years as we were figuring out the kind of content that was actually getting us customers. Um, um, you know, we did that and we leveraged a lot of search traffic, uh, you know, to grow our company. So that has been one yeah. of the growth channels that we figured was uh, had the best ROI and the most number of customers. And I think then, you know, just little, little uh, things like, um, you know, getting listed on all of these SaaS directories like Gitapp, Captera, G2 Crowd, all of that. Those directories really help, uh, you know, especially the ratings and reviews on those Uh, categories really drive a lot of customers, even though if you can't track it on the analytical tools, there's actually an indirect impact because a lot of times people would be searching for you know the product reviews or ratings and they'd see all of these ratings from these platforms. So they have actually contributed a lot in terms of converting higher customers. So you you know, I think these are the primary things that come into my mind, which we really double down on. And then there were little, little things like You know, spending a little more money on promoting our content, um, you know, spending some time on direct sales. So we used to have like this whole cold email strategy that worked well for us. Um, You know, we've got a podcast that we really scaled up quite a lot. It's focused on agencies that is driving
0: a lot of customers. So yeah. 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 Hey, that's a lot of really good stuff there. And uh, if we move on um, actually to a word that some people can be a bit afraid of, and that's process. Uh, but your fourth lesson is actually about autonomous processes and automating growth. Uh, so what role have processes and automation actually played in your growth success?
1: Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of processes because um, I'll tell you why. Um, you know, like earlier into my career, what what used to happen was that you know when we didn't you know when we didn't really have any processes set up, you know, every task used to be very unorganized. So let's say in the marketing plan, we've included, um, you know, do influencer outreach, right? That's a very vague task. Even if you put yeah. specifics like um, do influencer outreach by uh, reaching out to 20 influencers every week, all of that stuff, right? But unless you're not, you know, unless the task is not measured properly, it's probably not being done at its full potential. So um, you know, keeping all of these things in mind, uh, you know, we started building processes, and what we realized was that you know, with processes, you're able to onboard team members easily. You're able to um, be very minimally involved in um, you know in the functioning of the task, you know, because it can keep running on its own, um, and you know, you can maximize the ROI by actually. Um, hiring someone you know cheaper so just to give you an example if let's say someone was doing influencer outreach had you know maybe he or she was a content marketer at you know at a rate of about $25 an hour um, you know if we've got this process and every step-by-step instruction outline and training videos we can actually get a virtual assistant to do it for $4 an hour right so you essentially cut down on the cost of doing that task by four times and you know you can really make this you know scale up this task and get more people into this task and really you know um, grow it because you know unless you don't have a process documentation unless you don't have a way to um, you know analyze the impact of a particular task then you know you, you really can't scale it's going to become really messy after a while and then Uh, you know, the effects will start dying out. People are not going to reach out to 40 influencers. But if you've got a reporting sheet, like just to give you a a very, very simple example, there are three particular elements that I, you know, those are fundamental for every process that we've created till now, which is basically one is uh, a step-by-step documentation, you know, something that's so simple to follow that Mm -hmm. at every step, it's just, either a yes or a no. So if someone, like if I'm to ask my virtual assistant that have you done step number 26, there should only be one answer, yes or no, right? So a very good step-by-step documentation and then create training videos by actually walking them through the process. And then number three is um, to have a good reporting sheet, you know, a sheet where you can track how much was done every week, what was the impact and, you know, like maybe, you know, have a way to be able to track it over time. You know, like for example, if someone has been contacted 40 influencers a week and, you know, you can actually go through the sheet and actually see how that has increased. Maybe they're now collecting 50 influencers, maybe their productivity is increased, maybe their productivity has decreased, but it's so simple to be able to track in the reporting sheet. And then it's so simple for you to optimize and, you know, with taking all of these benefits and elements into consideration, what essentially ends up happening is that as I was talking earlier about the 80-20 rule, right? Once you found those 20% strategies that are working for you, you're essentially, when you're trying to scale, you're not just increasing the amount and resources on that project. You're also trying to minimize uh, the expense on that process. You're trying to maximize the profits out of it, and you're constantly trying to, you know, take the maximum benefit out of that strategy. And the only way for you to do that is through processes. Yes. Also, sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off here. Yeah, but no, also another, yeah, I think another benefit, another big benefit that relates with processes that, you know, remember the first time I was telling you about where I wanted, uh, you know, team members to take ownership of their tasks, right? Um, and it shouldn't be me who should be assigning them tasks and all of that. The mm. good thing about processes is that It can be done every week, every day. You don't really have to assign a sprint to them like, you know, you got to do this, these tasks every week. It just keeps going on automated on its own and you're constantly growing the company.
0: Yeah. So it's all about document everything, both the process and the reporting.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Exactly. And uh, as a growth marketer, uh, I actually know how challenging it can be when you need to follow all these key metrics as well in KPIs and that's also why I'm a big fan of lesson five in that everything boils down to business revenue so could you tell us a bit more about this and and how it influenced your day-to-day operations
1: yeah okay cool so basically um one of the things that I've noticed and you know I've I've been guilty of the same is that often you are you're doing tasks and you know you lose sight of the the one thing that the reason why you're here, which is to grow the revenue and also to empower the customer. Right. Yep. And, um, you know, for you to be, um, to have that kind of thought process, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a very good example here. Um, you know, somewhere about, uh, I'd say about, uh, a year, four months back, we used to have this newsletter for, um, uh, for these agencies and CEOs and the thought process of me building that newsletter was uh you know instead of me leveraging audiences on facebook reddit and all of these other communities which could you know one day shut us out how about you just build your own audience by having your own email list of just uh a really good prospect list there yeah so what what did was i created this newsletter a curated links newsletter you know like the newsletters you see Uh, from people like Shah and all of those, you know, with a bunch of links. So, um, I kind of created that newsletter and over the next six, seven months, we actually scaled it up to about 1,100 newsletters, uh, sorry, 1,100 subscribers. And those 1,100 subscribers were like CEOs, directors of Harvard University, and it was a very good list, right? But, you know, one day I got on a strategic call with uh, the founders of Hubstaff and you know, they're like, you know, we've been spending about seven months of money on this. Uh, what has been the impact? Like, I know you've increased the email subscribers, but how is it driving our revenue? So I'm like, give me a month. Let me just figure that out. So I yeah. went and I made some optimizations and, you know, tried to put a CT about hub stuff and um, tried to see if we can get these people to convert. And unfortunately, I couldn't, you know, but... Um, over time, you know, as I surveyed the subscribers, I kind of realized that this was a strategy which, you know, which needed time, you know, needed about two years to be invested into it. And after two years, we could potentially make revenue out of it, right? So then my founders were like, um, you know, um, we're, we're a bootstrap company, we don't really have that much money right now to wait for two years for a strategy that might possibly show customers, right so we eventually shut down that like we spent a lot of money for seven months on this newsletter but we shut it down because it was not driving revenue for us right now or in the next three to six months yeah you know so just like this um you need to have a good sight about it i'll give you another really good example just you know so uh, your listeners are able to relate to it um this is this is valid for every blog that's out there you know um you know whenever Whenever you see, right, like, um, readers really get annoyed by too many CTAs on the blog, right? If you've got pop-ups and you've got sidebars (laughs) coming in and all of that, right? And, you know, we used to have that. We used to have, like, six, seven CTAs on the blog and used to annoy the, you know, it was basically like, um, you know, if we promoted our content and, you know, especially if you promote your content on Reddit, right? Yes.
0: uh,
1: Redditors are, like, they can criticize you beyond (laughs) Your expect like they would criticize the hell out of that article okay so they would be like your your blog is basically an ad page and you know I'm not gonna read it I'm just moving out all of that stuff so naturally you know to improve our reader experience we actually cut down the Ctas to about one CTA per uh, you know per article yeah and it actually reduced our revenue from the blog okay but so you know when we got on a strategic call we literally asked ourselves you know what's more important here is it the reader experience or the revenue? Because, you know, the revenue is what is helping us create this useful content, right? So I know that the readers do get annoyed and everything, but the, the CTAs are what is supporting that content, right? So we actually, you know, like th- there's so many blogs, there's so many articles talking about how you should have such a great experience for readers. I do agree to that, but there's you need to have some self-interest there as well, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, we just, we got back the CTAs again, and we actually optimized them. Um, But this was a good example to show that you want to improve the reader experience, but again, think about the main goal. That's the business revenue,
0: right? Exactly. And we've actually had a similar discussion with with other people, both here on the podcast series and uh, and in our own discussions that, of course, too many CTAs, too many pop-ups are uh, a bit annoying, but they work and they convert. So yeah, it's, a, it's definitely exactly. a, bit of a trade-off. Making sure you get the right balance—not that you have too many, but you have enough that still a good experience. But you're still converting, which is ultimately the whole purpose. So yes, yes, exactly. Great stuff. And now we move to the the final lesson uh, of your six lessons, and that is patience. So how important a role has that played in your achievement of two million ARR over the last couple of years?
1: yeah it's been a it's been a lot you know like um, you know during this whole growth journey there are a lot of times in different areas where you kind of feel frustrated beyond like there th- there have been a lot of moments of you getting demotivated like just to give you an example um you know we, we we have this content promotion process and um you know back in 2015 when we were just growing our blog the content promotion process actually took us from you know six thousand blog readers a month to twenty thousand blog readers, right? Yeah. But we actually hit a a wall there. You know, we weren't really able to grow beyond that because there's only a certain limit, uh, you know, up till when you can all of you know, optimize, maximize your content promotion mediums. You know, like you can't really do you can't really post on sixteen Facebook groups yeah. groups and, you know, <laughs> expect it to just uh Grow uh, like crazy and take you to 60,000, right? So we were kind of stuck there for a while and it was a pretty challenging time for a couple of months. But I think that's when we kind of realized that search traffic would be the next way for us to grow from 20,000 to 50,000. So search traffic took us from 20,000 to 60,000 visits every month, right? And again, we hit a wall. You know, we were like, what are we going to do? Is this limiting? Is this blog channel? Really like have you maximized it towards the end? But we, you know, around then we started thinking a lot more, and we started leveraging our email list. And our email list had actually grown to about more than a hundred thousand subscribers. So wow. it was a pretty significant chunk of traffic yeah. that was available for us there. So we leveraged that, uh, you know, by creating a weekly newsletter for our uh, subscribers as well as uh, improving our existing SEO. Which finally took us to about 80,000, and that's what has been uh, growing our blog traffic. And we're always, you know, looking at different things to grow. In fact, you know, there's one thing I actually forgot to mention in that 80/20 rule, which is basically, although it is good to spend 80% of your revenue on the 20% strategies, you should re-leave a little bit of space uh, for you to, you know, keep testing out new uh, marketing channels because you don't want to be stuck at a place where you've just focused on the ones that were working and when they stopped working, you don't really have any marketing channels to go after.
0: Yeah. And actually, now that you have reached 2 million in ARR, I guess the next step is hitting 10 million. So what have you got planned and, and lined up for the future?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, so with 2 million, so the here's something interesting that I learned, that the growth strategies that we had That took us from 200,000 to a million to two million. um, It's it's very different from the growth strategy that we're gonna have from two million to 10 million. Because you know, to give you another example here, let's say answering questions on Quora or getting listed on directories and all were 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 significant when you were at 200, 300,000 revenue, right? But at two million, that's just insignificant. You know, you have to think of much bigger channels that can you know sustain for two three years. So what we are actually doing is we are ex- we're expanding into uh, uh, you know a suite of three products. So uh, right now Hubstuff's a time tracking software, but we do have a recently launched uh, uh, a freelance directory and we've also got a project management application that's coming up. So it's kind of going to be a suite of apps that's surrounded around the same ecosystem that we yeah. built our time tracking software on. So that's, that's something that's gonna probably create additional revenue streams for us. Um, we are obviously leveraging on, um, you know, with these new products, we'll be able to hopefully expand in our content. We'd we'll be able to go beyond uh, the traditional content that we've been focusing on to go to a much larger area of freelancers, remote workers, and project management methodologies. And hopefully that would really contribute in the search traffic. And yeah, we're probably looking to, you know, uh, check out some side projects, which might uh, be big levers for the growth uh, that we're going to. And I think one of the uh, one of the strategies that has been running since 200,000 will probably stay on to 10 million is our partnerships. We're scaling yeah. those up as well. And partnerships have always converted well and they're hopefully going to be there with us till 10 million.
0: Okay, great. So yeah, exciting times at Hubstuff, sounds like you got a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline. Um, yeah, but now if if we actually just move to to a couple of closing questions, which we actually ask all our guests, and the first one would be, what are the top five tools that you're actually using on a day to day basis to help you get your work done?
1: Um, yeah, so me in general, I think um, I'm basically um, I, I the first tool that I use is uh, you know it's a tool called Wupra, which is a, you know where basically our entire marketing analytics uh, and user analytics data is there. Yep. Um, you know, it kind of helps us go really deep into uh, the user behavior and where they're visiting and, you know, optimize our funnels in the right way. So that's one. Uh, woopra and Google Analytics, so they kind of fall in the same uh, line of yeah. tools. Yeah, yeah. Um, the second tool that I use is um, MozBar. Um, it's basically uh, this tool to check uh, you know, authority of a specific domain. So that kind of helps in, you know, when you're, let's say, building links or whenever you're thinking of guest posting or, you know, uh, when you're looking at competitor links or all of that, then it really helps and also shows you different other metrics. So, Mozbar is something I use often. I also use this tool called SEMrush, which is our, um, you know, our SEO analytics tools.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it kind of helps us in keyword research and Optimizing our content for the right keywords, and you know, focusing on long-tail keywords, and, you know, all of that for our search strategy. Um, I use Hubstaff, for, you know, to track time, yeah. um, you know, on specific tasks because um, you know, I can really know that how much time am I spending. So if I'm spending, let's say, about 40% of my time exclusively on uh, partnerships, then that's not right. Like I need to have a good, um, yeah. I need my tasks to be spread out, right? So yeah, that I use and I think the fifth tool I use is the Google Suite, uh, all my process documentation, every sheet, every conversation happens in Google Docs and Sheets.
0: Yeah. Okay, great stuff. So some good, good advice, good tools out there for others to, to go and check out if they haven't heard of them or haven't used them before. And actually the final yeah. question we have is, is actually what would be uh, your one best piece of advice that you would share with other SaaS growth leaders?
1: yeah so i think um it's 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 probably um yeah you know, i'd say i'd advise these people to stop spending majority of their time on uh on you know communities like inbound.org and growth hackers you know i i, I was guilty of the same and i'm partially guilty of the same right now i used to be <laughs> a yeah, no i used to be a daily user spending about almost what two hours a day on these platforms yeah. um and then you know we about i think about seven eight months back you know our company's growth strategy changed a bit and i had more responsibilities so it was just spontaneously you know i just it just by time spent on these platforms just dropped to like maybe checking it out once a month and what's surprising was that my learning did not get affected my contribution on our growth strategy did not get affected um you know and so Although reading articles once in a while kind of keeps you updated about industry trends, which is great, but you need to spend a majority chunk of your time thinking about, you know, solving challenges in your current growth strategy and, you know, really making time to think about those because, you know, so I think that's the biggest issue that used to concern me was that you're always reading articles from other SaaS growth leaders, and they're always yeah. sharing about their experience about tactics and all of that stuff, right? But it's already been tried and tested. You're already behind them. You know They've already tried and tested it and shared it. So you would always be influenced and mimicking their thoughts and strategy. You wouldn't really have time to think about your own. But when you're, you know, when you're limiting, like just to give you an example, when I say when I'm partially guilty is like, I read blogs by this this uh, this great SaaS leader called uh, Brian Balfour, who used yes. to be, yeah, like I really love his articles. But what has happened is that because I read his articles, I've, I often mimic his thoughts, you know, into my own thoughts. And, you know, I'm kind of spending time, some time to change that, um, you know, trying to incul, like, Really innovate into my own strategies, into my own thoughts. Stay ahead. Try to find different channels, different ways to scale. And um, you know, w- one of the ways that has helped me really think like I read this great book called uh, Five Elements of Effective Thinking. Um, it's a it's a great book to you know really think beyond um, your traditional roots and uh, be really able to innovate. That's I mean. So if my one piece of advice is really make more time to think about, uh, think on your own versus uh, spending two, three hours on growth hackers and then burn.
0: Yeah, yeah, so rather than reading these articles and just trying to replicate and copy what others have, have done, it's more about thinking about what you can take away from there and what is a- applicable to your own situation and what can help you solve your own problems rather than just trying to kind of copy-paste that... Yeah, exactly. That, like, that you into know, your even- situation.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, copy pasting, of course. Yeah, but also, you know, like, you would always be, like, just to give you another example. If you, you know, if you're active in the SEO space, right? People are always reading blogs about how Moz did this, how Ahrefs yeah. did this, all of that, right? But they've already done it, right? But where, like, you would always be in your entire career, you would always be following these leaders. You would never really be able to get ahead of them and be able to identify this one channel. Before it actually got populated, you would have time to maximize it. Yeah. Yeah, that's my word for right.
0: it. So read a bit less and act more. Good stuff. Yes. Hey, Madhav, thank you so much for, for joining us here at the Growth Hub today. It's been really good to have you on the show with us. And actually, we look forward to having you back soon one day when you reach 10 million ARR and you can actually tell us the story of how you went from 2 to 10 million.
1: Thanks, Ed. Yeah, it'll be great. And I'm, you know, you had some pretty great questions. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, thanks a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, our pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, all right. That was Madaf Bandari, Marketing Manager at Hubstaff. And be sure to check out hubstaff.com as well as Madaf's blog at M-A-D-H-A-V-B That's Madaf And you can also follow Madaf on Twitter at TheMadBandari, which is at TheMadBandari, B-H-A-N-D-A-R-I. But don't worry, we have all these links, as well as the link to Madaf's post on the Salesforce blog that he referred to in our own blog post on the Growth Hub. So make sure you check those out. And thank you for listening to the Growth Hub podcast. Make sure you check out the Growth Hub at advancedb2b.com slash the Growth Hub for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different